2 Timothy 1, the book of 2 Timothy, as you all know, is the Apostle Paul's last epistle on this earth. On a personal and a biographical level, this is his farewell address, if you will, inasmuch as he's certain. He's certain that his race and his fight is finally over. Here in the first chapter, you'll notice he talks about his imprisonment and his bonds in verse 8. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Nor of me his prisoner. If you go down to verse 12. For the which thing, for the, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against or until that day. That day was drawing nigh, and he knew it. Verse 16, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and here it is, was not ashamed of my chain. And of course, this goes on all the way to the last chapter, where he lets us know that chronologically, it's autumn. In the Roman Empire, that means that for the Apostle, this is going to be his last autumn. The 22nd of this month, Thursday, it's going to be the first day of autumn, 2022. Although I was at Cracker Barrel yesterday, and they're not waiting until the 22nd, I can tell you that right now. It's fall and Christmas at Cracker Barrel already. They say in South Florida, you can tell that it's fall when the license plates start changing colors. Amen? The snowbirds are coming. (laughs) Autumn is an amazing season, as are all of the indicators of change in God's creation. For Paul, his last autumn is a very poignant, powerful, personal treatise, as you can imagine. When he says in chapter 4, I am now ready to be offered, that's an offering, if you will, like a sacrifice. I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Well, you can feel the weight and the finality of those words. This departure, of course, speaks of his upcoming execution at the hands of men who blamed Christians for the burning of Rome three years earlier. This was not an immediate accusation by Nero, nor even a widespread one, but it was the convenient lie in the persecutions of the first century. For Paul, it just didn't matter. It didn't matter at this point why he was being put to death, only the fact that he was ready. I am now ready, he said, to be offered. And he was. As a faithful servant, he's fought a good fight. He's finished his race. He's kept the faith. However, there was something that Paul desired, something that he himself requested and longed for at the time of his departure. A few things, in fact, they're all wrapped up in one specific request in chapter 4. Just turn a page or two ahead and notice chapter 4 and verse 9. Paul says to Timothy, do thy diligence to come shortly. That means quickly unto me. Be diligent about this, Timothy. Be proactive. Come as soon as you can. And come and see me in this prison to Rome. Come from Ephesus now. And when you come, he said, bring something with you. Chapter 4, verse 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. And the books, but especially, he says, the parchments. Wow, isn't that great? He's a disciple and he's a learner all the way to the very end. The books, the scriptures, 
These would be of great blessing while I'm here in this prison. As would, by the way, he mentions his cloak, which he left behind when he was staying in the home of Carpus back in Troas. You see, Paul knows, Paul knows that with the coming of fall, he's going to need that heavy overcoat in the dark, cold dungeon of that Mamertine prison. And so he says in verse 21, look at it, do thy diligence, Timothy, to come before winter. I'm going to say again, this is Paul's last autumn. And as such, I want us to sort of pull up a chair and just listen in as to what Paul has to say about it. Three things in particular tonight, lessons I want you to consider. And the first one, number one, is a lesson about Paul's last battle. Now again, this is his last autumn. It will be. He thinks it will be, and it was. But I want you to notice what he says about his last battle. Verse 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Verse 15, of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me. You know, brother, we don't know a whole lot about this Alexander guy we just read about a moment ago. Obviously, he's a metal worker. And if he is the same Alexander in Ephesus, then he has been opposing and fighting the Apostle Paul for a very long time. In any case, he's a wicked man. What? ever much evil that he did to this servant of God, Paul, it still affects him in the final days, his final days on this earth. And for me, it's a sad thing. Matter of fact, it's a very sad thing for me that this beloved servant of God, this a humble apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, would have to suffer at the hands of anyone all the way to his own execution and martyrdom for our Lord. In verse 16, Paul speaks about his friends, who forsook him in his hour of need. And he graciously asks and prays for God's mercy upon them. This is not a man who deserved this kind of wholesale hatred, but he's a man who, he is a man who endured it until his dying day. It's a reminder tonight, as our own autumn season approaches, that God's people, the servants of the living God, have always, always had to battle. So can I just say tonight that if it's your goal to be a Christian in today's society, as we mentioned this morning, if it's your goal to be popular and loved and embraced and respected by the world and by the worldlings, let me go ahead and save you a lot of wasted time and effort. Put your Bible down or give it to the person next to you. Take the name Christian off of your resume or your Facebook profile. And walk out of those doors and own up to never being a true disciple, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because friendship with the world, the Bible says, is enmity with God. John 15, 19, if you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, therefore the world hateth you. I don't know about you, but I'm okay with that. In fact, I embrace it in the will of God. Chapter 3, verse 11 persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. They may not suffer the persecution of the first century because we live in a land of freedom. 
But all that hatred and being separated, we read about this morning, that is part and parcel of being a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Battling to the very end, Paul says. And you know, it's not something that shocked the Apostle Paul. As he sat there in that prison with his body that bore the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry, he's not shocked. He said, I have fought a good fight. That's what he called his life. I fought a good fight, he said. Contending and battling is something he simply expected and endured faithfully. Chapter 4, look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou, that's a military term, watch thou in all things endure afflictions. I'll say it again, beloved. Paul's last autumn includes his last battle. It is a reminder that believers have always been, always been, the off-scouring of the world. And we cannot and should not change that. The second thing you'll notice, number two, is Paul's last blessing or beatitude or benediction. In other words, just because Paul battled even to his very dying day, you realize, think about this, that doesn't mean at all that Paul was in despair. It definitely doesn't mean that he walked around, even here in his dungeon, as a defeated man. On the contrary. Look at verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. How magnanimous of this man. But then he goes right into verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. That by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You know what that is, folks? That's victory. Victory. Look at what he says right after testifying of his own impending execution. It's in verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, from now on, after this happens, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also who love his appearing. Do you know what I love about Paul? It's the same thing you probably love about this man. No matter what the trial no matter what the tribulation or affliction, the evil work, the loneliness that he must testify to, because that is, in fact, the record of his life, he never wants us to feel sorry for him. That's just not the way he writes and testifies. He never just says, Alexander the Commonsman hurt my feelings. Nobody, nobody stood with me, and I'm all alone. I'm, I'm the only one. It's not fair. I'm disappointed, and I'm all bitter. Now, he says, he says, no man stood with me. I pray God lay not to their charge because the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He said, Alexander, he did me much evil, but the Lord will deliver me from every evil work, which when he preserves me unto his heavenly kingdom forever. He says, I'm, I'm about to be offered, but henceforth there is laid up for me a crown which the Lord shall give me. He's relentless in his faith in his Lord. Paul never feels sorry for himself in this last autumn of his life. He just states the truth. And sometimes the truth is persecution and, and enemies. We have adversaries. But he follows it always with blessing and benediction. 
that's rooted in eternal reality. And of course, if you think about it for a moment, beloved, any child of God, including the one standing behind this pulpit who's guilty of this, any child of God who wallows in self-pity for very long is not being honest with all the facts. It's really a deceit. It's like a Powerball winner spending his entire life crying about how much money he paid in taxes on it. Remember years ago, it was, a, it was a lady by the name of Mavis. She was 53 years old, hospital worker up in Massachusetts. And you know what? She could spend her entire remaining days saying, woe is me because Uncle Sam took $120 million of my winnings. $120 million in taxes. That's robbery, right? Except... You realize she pocketed, she pocketed a lump sum of $480.5 million. She could have gotten the entire $758 million had she been a little patient in taking the payments. Anyone feel sorry for her that she had to pay taxes? Well, folks, $758 million is nothing. It's, it's less than zero compared to the inheritance into his kingdom for all of eternity. And that is the reason in Paul's last autumn, it's the reason why when he knew that he was going to be executed, when he knew he was scheduled to be beheaded, when he knew that all men forsook him on his first trial and others did evil and testified against him, that is the reason, beloved, that in spite of all of the battles that he had, he had marks in his body for his battle wounds. That this child of God was sustained by a faith that is the birthright of every single believer in this room. Remember what the Hebrew writer said to the persecuted believers in Hebrews 10? He said, ye took joyfully the spoiling, the taking of your goods. Ye took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. They were happy. That's what the word means. They were happy that some of their possessions were being stolen by evil men and powers. But why joyfully? It sounds pathological. Yeah, the government took my car. Awesome. No. Ye took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, the rest of the verse says, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You see... This beatitude is justified. In fact, if anything, it's even mandated. Because of what Paul knew about what awaited him when they were to take his life. You know, I remember years ago, Ben and I were flying home from Dallas, Texas. And he and I were up there by ourselves, of course, and, and I was seated in the middle of this airplane, and there was a lady to the left of me who had an affinity for screwdrivers, and they kept coming and coming, and there was a, a gentleman to my right, this immaculate, very wealthy uh, businessman from China. And all he ordered was water with no ice. Okay, that's what he got. I thought that was weird. Ben was assigned right in front of me in the seat uh, on, the next, uh, on the next level. And for some reason, I decided instead of having, you know, little Diet Cokes of having coffee, because sm- the whole plane smelled like good coffee. So I got my coffee, and somewhere before I got my first sip, I turned to grab something. I dropped the entire cup all over that pristine businessman from China. I mean, all over him. I was that guy that you hear about, right? I was horrified. His suit pants, his fancy suede dress shoes, his moleskin messenger bag placed securely under the seat in front of him. 
All of that is now soaked in this coffee at 30,000 feet. And Ben heard the commotion. He turned around. He saw what happened. And he, he said, you didn't get that on my Nintendo, did you? And I said, no. Turn around. Be quiet. And I took that one little tiny square napkin that they give you, and I just started wiping. Just, I didn't say anything. I just started wiping the guy down. And his shoes, I bent over. I was a Baptist foot washer. I was wiping his suede shoes. He didn't say a word. And, of course, I apologized profusely. He just kind of got up, walked to the bathroom, got a whole bunch of towels, came back, and uh, started wiping his messenger bag and his seat and his pants and everything down. And while he wiped his Jimmy Choo's, I was wiping down his messenger bag, his carry-on bag, and he keeps cleaning and wiping. And so I keep cleaning and wiping and cleaning and wiping. It goes on literally forever. I want to stop, but I can't stop until he stops because I'm so (laughs) full of guilt. I tried to give him some money for, you know, dry cleaning or whatever. He just didn't even speak to me, just silent, kept wiping. And with every wipe, it's guilt, 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 you know how I feel. Finally, he stops, and I take all the towels, and I go, and I throw them away for him. And now it's almost our approach. And we get off the plane, and Ben and I at PBI, we go down to the baggage claim, and there he is. There he is, no doubt, waiting for his lambskin suitcase or whatever he's got. And there's so much awkwardness because you can smell the coffee on him a mile away. We end up pretty close. He speaks finally. He's gracious. But he kind of wonders why. He even says, he says, you know, I appreciate it. Very gracious, broken accent. I appreciate it. He says, you wiped all my stuff down. You never wiped any of your stuff. Never once. And I gave him some generic answer, but the real reason is just simple and obvious. I was wearing some ancient blue jeans from Bell's Outlet. My shoes were actually Ben's shoes from Shoe Carnival. And my briefcase at that time was so old and ratty that the coffee actually made it worth more than it was. <laughs> but, you know, after he said that, we were writing how I got to thinking about that. You know, if we as believers would just have the right perspective, even if it is moleskin or whatever, if we would have the right perspective, everything that we have down here, we would just look at it as cheap junk. Okay, what it is. If we would just compare all of our worldly goods with verse 18, his heavenly kingdom, then we too could actually take joyfully, it's a miracle, the spoiling of our goods. So that blessing and joy and beatitude for a believer, that's not something we should have to work up. It is really instinctive and proper. In verse, four, uh, verse 13, Paul mentions his cloak. You know, W.A. Criswell said, what a robe believers would weave for Paul today if only they could. That one robe that Paul possessed, wet and brittle with the brine of the Mediterranean, white at one time with the snows of Galatia, brown with all of the dust of the Ignatian Way that he would walk over and over again, red with the blood of his wounds and tattered with the Blows of stonings and beatings. That cloak would soon be replaced with the robe of Christ's righteousness so that Paul could be nothing but thrilled with the prospect of going home. Paul's last autumn includes the lessons of his very last battles, his last beatitude, 
and blessing. And then finally, I want you to notice also, and I'm going to spend a moment on this, his last bidding, his last bidding, his last request. Chapter 4, look at verse 21 again. Would you do thy diligence, Timmy, to come before winter? Now, I know that many of you here who've been at Beacon very long are very well aware of why Paul urged Timothy to sail now, to sail in the fall or before the fall even, and thus before winter. In Acts chapter 27, Paul admonished that there'd be no voyage, remember, no voyage after Yom Kippur, because sailing that time of year was far too dangerous. Yom Kippur this year is the first week of October. So then in the first century, Paul knows, he knows if Timothy doesn't come before winter, he'll never make it until spring, and by then it just may be too late. Do thy diligence, Paul says, to come before winter. You know, Paul had a special love for Timothy. Ever since he met him that fateful day when he was stoned outside of Lystra, he mentored him, he traveled with him, ministered with him. In every way, Timothy was his beloved son in the faith. But now, Timothy's a busy man. Timothy is now the pastor of a great church at Ephesus, and he's doing the work of an evangelist, and he's trying to make full proof of his ministry. So that traveling to Rome was quite a task, but it was also the right thing to do. His hero and father in the faith is alone, opposed, and in need, and most of all, soon to be gone. So that that fall invitation was a great opportunity for this young believer Paul wants his cloak and his books and the parchments. But mostly, he just wants to see Timothy at least one more time. And who knows what words of wisdom, who knows what prayer, what admonition, what laying on of his apostolic worn hands on Timothy awaited him. And you know this. You can imagine young Timothy opening this epistle and reading it and immediately thinking, of course I will come, Paul. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. And of course he fully intended to go. But the truth is, we don't know if he ever did. Nobody knows. I'd like to think that the minute Timothy read that letter, he didn't wait a single day. But that indeed he told Priscilla and Aquila to look after matters and watch over the flock. He started at once for Troas, and he picked up the books and his old cloak from Carpus there. I'd like to think that he sailed to Neapolis and then traveled again down that Ignatian way and across the plains of Philippi through Macedonia, through the Adriatic. And there he took that ship to Brundusium and from there up the Appian Way to Rome into a dark jail cell where he found the old soldier of the faith and he embraced him and he told him all that he meant to him and he gave him all of the good news about the churches that he had seen and the churches back home and he put the cloak on his scarred shoulders and he prayed and sang and read and they fellowshiped together and he stayed with him until that final day when authorities led Paul up to the place of execution and they're walking aside With him, I'd like to think that Timothy stayed with his father in the faith until he saw him receive the crown of glory. I don't know if he did. 
Again, nobody really knows. What I do know is that Paul asked him to. What I do know is that Paul wanted him to. And no doubt, Timothy had every intention of doing it. And I just want to say, beloved, tonight, that there are some things in life, in your own life, that will never be done until they're done or if they're done before winter. That gift that you've been meaning to give, that grandparent you've been meaning to visit, that child that you've intended to love and spend more time with and train, that personal attitude of yours that you have kept putting off trying to change and improve, that loved one that you intend to witness to someday, that mother that you've long intended to write. Come before winter. When Thomas Carlyle lost his wife, she passed away unexpectedly on April 21st, 1866. He wrote these words in his journal. Oh, that I had you by my side for just five minutes. Well, you have those five minutes, as far as you know. Do you really, do you really want to waste those five minutes arguing over something ridiculous and meaningless? Fighting over some ridiculous inch of territory. Pastor, someday I'm going to get my spiritual priorities right. Someday I'm going to make that visit. I'm going to walk that aisle. I'm going to love those kids and write that check and take that trip. I'm going to thank that brother. Someday I'm going to surrender my heart fully. Let me remind you again that there are some things that if you don't do it before winter, it will never be done. Paul's last bidding. You know, just like Clarence McCartney, my favorite preacher who writes, did in the 1940s. I've often wondered if Timothy, who had every intention of going to Paul, I've often wondered if he got busy. He was already busy, but just more busy that fall. I guarantee you some people in his church were against it. And you don't want to go there, not now. It's dangerous, you can wait, we need you. There's an ordination at Miletus. Don't forget the town council at Ephesus we're all supposed to go to. We have communion coming. You have a hundred little matters and business to attend to, Timothy. This isn't the time. Maybe later, Timothy. And so finally, perhaps, taking that opportunity to sail to Rome, Timothy goes to Troas and he asks about the ships to Macedonia. And he hears the bad news. There are no ships because it's an early winter. No ships until April. And he's heartsick. And all winter long, I wonder if Timothy is anxious and just counting down. Until finally... The first vessel of springtime. He's on it. He sails to Neapolis. He hurries up to Rome. He goes into the house of Narcissus and Amplius. And he says, how is Paul? Where can I find him? I have his books and I have his cloak and I have the parchments. And they say to him, Timothy, didn't you hear? Paul was executed in December. Oh, Timothy, he asked about you. Every time he heard the jailer's footprints and listened for another set of steps that maybe, just maybe, it was you. Every time he hears the jailer's keys, he wonders, maybe Timothy is here. He wanted to see you so much, he told us to give his love to you, and we prayed that you were safe. Come 
before winter. And I say, beloved, to me and to all of us, Paul's last autumn reminds us to come before winter. The old rabbi in the Talmud said, always repent the day before you die. And when someone said, nobody knows the day before they die, then he answered, then always repent today. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly as part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. And then it says, one by one, the days, the moments, fleeting, till I reach the promised land. You know, autumn in South Florida is almost here. What a reminder that we are called to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, battling, and that we are blessed. We are blessed as no one on this earth has been blessed. And that we still have time to do and to say the things that we know are right for us to do and say. Our heads are bowed, please, for just a moment with eyes closed. Autumn is coming on our calendar. September the 22nd, 2022 is the first day of fall. But if we're honest, autumn is coming in our lives as well. And you know, here's the thing. We don't know. There are people in heaven right now that we know and love, and I could call their names, but I won't, that last fall was their last autumn. They went through fall, but it was their last one. And in heaven today, you can be absolutely sure that the little things that they thought were important, little fights, little battles, little arguments, they recognize how foolish how unnecessary they are. As believers tonight, we are called to battle and fight good soldiers of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. As believers tonight, we're supposed to be full of hope and blessing and beatitude. If Paul can do it with chains rattling while he's writing the words, when he was at writing Phil, uh, the book of Philippians, he was writing the words of rejoice in the Lord always while in jail. We can do this. And then God has given us breath so that if it were our last autumn, we can do and say the things we know we should. Father in heaven, bless now the invitation. Thank you for your word and Thank you for the example of this old soldier of the faith who in his last autumn demonstrated your power, your mercy, your grace, your faithfulness, your goodness. May we demonstrate all of those glories as well in our life by simply submitting and trusting in you as you work in our homes. We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted 
through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.